I'm calling this sermon today the final word, the Bible. You know, there's a lot of wisdom out there, the wisdom of man, the wisdom of friends, the wisdom of Shakespeare. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot of places you can find some, you can find smart people who have decent advice. But there's no place like the Bible where you can find answers that are always right, that will always bless you. And if I could do anything today, this is my goal, to help you believe that this is the inspired God-breathed word of God in such a way that you'll read it, believe it, and apply it to your lives. Because if you go there, you'll never be the same again. Here's what the scripture says in 2 Timothy 3.16. This would be a great verse to, to put to memory too if, you, if you're looking for verses to do that. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Someone once said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That's a pretty decent statement, but there's a better one because the real truth is God said it, and that settles it. Sometimes we don't believe the truth like we should, even though it's truth. But when God says it, that settles it because this is the final word. I'm gonna pray and then we'll talk about this some more. Father, come by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're not here just to fellowship. We're not here just to see friends, though that's a good thing. We're hopeful, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will show up. Jesus, we're hopeful that you will walk these aisles today, that you'll speak to our hearts and change our lives. We trust you and we look to you to lead us and guide us. Holy Spirit, bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Here's the first thought coming out of that scripture. And predominantly, I'm talking about verse 16 today. Here's what it says, all scripture is God-breathed. Now, I read the first verse, uh, the first time rather, in the NIV, and it has it exactly right in the Greek. The word in the Greek literally means God-breathed. Now, here it is. In the New Living Translation, it says inspired, which essentially means the same thing. And so I, I like both of those. And what it means is God wrote this. He used men that he spoke to and guided them, and it is literally a God thing, not a man thing. That's what it means. Here's what inspired means. The inspired word of God means that God divinely influenced the human authors of the scriptures in such a way that they wrote, what they wrote was the very word of God. There are people who for various erroneous reasons have determined that not all of the Bible is inspired by God. In doing this, they become the judge of the Bible rather than the Bible becoming their judge. It's interesting, isn't it? I looked closely at that word all. And in the Greek, the translation for all means all. That's what I found out. <laughs> all scripture is God-breathed and inspired by God. So you'll find people who reject that, but keep these things in mind. Men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. Take note of the people who criticize the Bible. Almost always there's some behavior or lifestyle that they're trying to justify when they do it. Someone has said one evidence of the value of the Bible is the character of those who oppose it. And often the people who oppose it 
are immoral and are going a direction completely opposite of the truth of God's word. And they want to justify their behavior so they come against the word of God because if it's true after all, they're in trouble and they're just going to be their own God. They're going to make up their own way. Which God will allow for a season, but there comes a, a judgment day for all of us. You cannot create truth, you can only discover it. And the place to discover true wisdom from the very heart of God is the Bible. There are those today who would say, um, and I think this is a valid point to, to make, well, the New Testament wasn't even written when this scripture was penned in 2 Timothy 3.16. Well, if you look at verse 15, I think that, that's, that, that's valid to say to some degree uh, because verse 15 says, Timothy, you've learned these scriptures from your infancy. Well, it certainly wasn't the New Testament that he was learning from his infancy. It was the Old Testament. Jesus said not one comma or period would be changed, that that is inspired. But what some people fail to realize is that the scriptures were already being received from the teachings of Christ even in this day when this was written. Meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke were already written, though the book of John was not written by the time this was written. But God is prophetic in his very nature. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He knows what's gonna go in. He knows what he's gonna lead his people to do. And when he says all scriptures are inspired, he means all of the New Testament as well. Because look in 2 Peter 3, we see an indication of how they were already seeing these scriptures that are in the New Testament as inspired. I wrote this so, or rather I'm, I'm, I'm reading this so you can see that they receive these things as the scriptures. It says this, Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different. Now here's the point I'm trying to make, next line. Just as they do with the other parts of scripture, or just as they do with other parts of scripture. Meaning, the New Testament church recognized Paul writing, Paul's writings as scripture. And so some people just kind of want to tear out pages and do away with parts. And there are, there are people who say, well, just the teachings of, you, you know, the red letters, that's, that's really all that's important. But, but that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus said. He said that he would teach them by the power of the Holy Spirit and give them wisdom. Well, he gave it to them. They were eyewitnesses and they wrote it down. And it has become the word of God for all of us. And there's testimony to that. Now, let's talk about the New Testament. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I hope this isn't too dry for you. But here's why I'm gonna, I'm gonna just get into an intellectual side of this for just a moment. You're going to be dealing with intellectual mindsets a lot when it comes to people who don't know Jesus. And they're gonna come against the scriptures uh, quite often. Well, it's just a book that men wrote. And so I think it's important that we, we talk about this. So let me say this before I, I, I do this teaching here. Um, if you would like to get my notes, you can get them in, in entirety if you'll call the office and just make a request. We can, we, we'll send them to you in some form. And I say that because you might wanna just have this for your own study. You might wanna take these things and share them with someone. And we're, you know, I'm cool with that. I've been working hard and studying. Uh, that's what you have enabled me to do. And, and in doing such, I'm hoping I can bring something that'll bless you and help you as you witness to your friends as well. So let me talk about the New Testament for just a moment. The New Testament of the Bible is officially established at the Council of Carthage in 387 AD. 
Uh, the New Testament had been used for hundreds of years already. These scriptures, although they were canonized and affirmed by the church in 387 at Carthage, they'd been used for hundreds of years and they came together to say, you know, we need to make sure that everybody knows these, these books are the validated books of God. Now, here's what you may not know because it's not talked about much, but this is the criteria used for assembling the New Testament books of the Bible. First, it had to be written by an eyewitness apostle. It's so funny to me that some nutty professor at some state or even nowadays Christian seminary uh, can, can speak about uh, the writings of the New Testament as if they weren't uh, valid and yet 2,000 years later they think they can make it up in their heads and do a better job. Remember that the, that the ones that were chosen for the New Testament were eyewitnesses who walked with Jesus. And they had more of a heart to preserve the teachings of their friend and Savior than anybody would. And the Spirit of God helped them write down about the character of Jesus Christ, the teachings of Jesus Christ. And, and so they, they had to be eyewitness uh, apostles. And then secondly, they had to have th- these books, if they were gonna be incorporated and validated and canonized, as is the word they use, they had to have completely consistent teachings uh, with the history of the church. The books collected in the Bible were the ones that, were ac- that accurately portrayed Jesus in his life. And, and they, they, the books were the ones that practiced what was taught by Jesus Christ. And so the church validated that uh, this is consistent with the, the teachings and life of, of Jesus. And, and, and then thirdly, it had to withstand the scrutiny of the whole church at large. So it had to be approved by the early churches. And this, this is one of the main criteria, and it relates to the, what the first churches thought of the books. And it was used by large numbers of churches over a long period of time or it was not accepted. And so they literally were just validating what God had already put together. But let me give you what I think is the greatest proof that this is the word of God, the inspired word of God. They didn't use it in that day, but I'm gonna use it today. I'm adding this one. Um, More proof, I'll call it. I think the greatest proof is the historical evidence of how the Bible blesses all who read it and follow its truth. Now, we're gonna do a a non-scientific survey here for just a moment. Don't raise your hand yet. But if you have read this book called the Bible and it has touched you and blessed you incredibly and it has brought life to you and you see this book above all, the wisdom of all other books, you know it personally because it's touched your life, I want you to raise your hand right now. Lift your hand. Now leave it up, leave it up. Now look around. I'm telling you that it's not only here, but through the ages that God has proven his word through the life of people. So when Pastor Doug gets up and he talks about journaling and reading your Bible and writing down what God's saying and applying it to your life and praying over it, it's because it's life-changing. It's the word of God. He and we are just trying to encourage you to know that this will bless you before more than any other book you could ever get in. You know what, even Christian books, even sermons. I, I mean, they're, they're, I love Christian books. I love good sermons, but, but they're not infallible. They're, they're not, uh, they're, they err at times. Well-intentioned people. Listen, there's not one person in this world who has a completely perfect theology, who has it all together and knows it all. None of us have arrived. If you think you've arrived, you have, because you'll never grow beyond that point. And so if none of us can get it exactly right because we'll miss it some way, the one place that we can go, and listen, I, I'm trying to get it right. I'm not telling you I'm erring purposefully 
And, and, and I'm sure my mistakes are just teeny, itsy, bitsy little ones. And not like everybody else's. But what I want for you more and what God wants for you more than listening to sermons and books is knowing that this is the place. This is the book. This is why you need to be in it. There'll be one scripture that'll speak to you in scores of different ways through the years as the Holy Spirit touches it and brings it alive to your heart. There's no other book like that. It is the inspired word of God and the Holy Spirit attends the message to have it settle in our hearts and bless our very lives. Here's a story by Jason Carlson. He, he um, speaks at universities. And during a question and answer session at a recent engagement, a university student asked him the question, why do you believe the Bible's the inspired word of God? That's a fair question. It really is. That's, I'm, I'm trying to give us answers today. So why, why we can know it and why you can tell your friends. But Jason's a little smarter than me. He says, now this is an interesting question and probably one of the most important questions any Christian could ask. What's so special, what's so unique about the Bible that Christians believe it so literally and believe it's the inspired word of God? He says, in answering the student's question, I encourage him to consider the following facts about the Bible. Now, this will be on the screen. You follow with me as I read it, as you read it on the screen, because it's, it's some pretty profound thought. First, he says, the Bible is not just one single book. This is a more common misconception uh, than many people realize, especially with people who do not come from a Judeo-Christian background. Rather than being a single book, the Bible is actually a collection of 66 books, which is called the canon of scriptures. These 66 books contain a variety of genres, history, poetry, prophecy, wisdom literature, letters, and apocalyptic, just to name a few. Then he says, second, these 66 books were written by 40 different authors. These authors came from a variety of backgrounds, shepherds, fishermen, doctors, kings, prophets, and others. And most of these authors never uh, knew one another personally. Third, he says, these 66 books were written over a period of 1,500 years. Yet again, this is another reminder that many of these authors never knew or collaborated with one another in writing these books. Fourth, the 66 books of the Bible were written in three different languages. In the Bible, we have books that were written in the ancient languages of Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, a reflection of the historical and cultural circumstances in which each of these books were written. And finally, he says, these 66 books were written on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Once again, this is a testament to the varied historical and cultural circumstances of God's people, What's more, this collection of books shares, and I think this is profound, when you think of all this tying together with all those years and languages and circumstances and countries, the books share a common storyline, the creation, fall, and redemption of God's people being the common theme. God's universal love for all humanity and a common message, salvation is available to all who repent of their sins and commit to following God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. In addition to sharing these commonalities, these 66 books contain no historical errors or contradictions. God's word truly is an amazing, amazing collection of writings. Then what I really like, because I think that's just great knowledge for all of us to know. How in the world do you get a completely consistent messages, a message with, with all of that going on? 
And Jason says, after I'd shared the, these facts with the student, I offered this challenge. I said to him, if you don't believe the Bible's inspired word of God, if you do not believe that the Bible is of supernatural origin, then I challenge you to a test. Go to any library in the world, any library you like, and choose any 66 books, but have them be written by 40 different authors over at least a 1,500-year time span and written in three different languages from three different countries. However, if you're gonna pull them together, they must share a common storyline, a common theme, and a common message with no historical errors or contradictions. And then he went on to say, if you can produce such a collection of books, I'll admit that the Bible's not the inspired word of God. And the college student said, now, now wait a minute, that would be impossible. And Jason said, that's right, it would be impossible for any human writings. However, the Bible passes this test. The entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation bears the mark of divine inspiration. So here's the deal. This is the word of God. Isaiah 48, the grass withers and flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. And there are those who say, but there's inconsistencies and contradictions. Well, let me say inerrancy and this belief that it's an infallible word of God, there are no errors in it. It, recognize, it recognizes these things not as actual errors, but as difficulties that can be re- resolved when all the relevant data is known. And so let me give you this evidence. This, is, this comes from Donald Stamps from the Full Life Study Bible. He says, you know, when these, these contradictions are uh, what some people would call errors, three possibilities exist with regard to any apparent problem. A, the existing copies of the original manuscripts, manuscripts rather, may not be totally accurate. So it's the original word of God that is inspired. When people, uh, when people copy a manuscript uh, through, you know, when you do that three or four times from one copy to another, it can, it can lose a little bit. And then secondly, the present day translations of the Hebrew and Greek biblical texts may be faulty. Now let me tell you some versions that you can have assurance are are very solid. You don't have to be too afraid of this translation thing. There are some bad translations out there, but let me tell you a few good ones. The NIV is a great version of the Bible. Um, King James Version, the New King James Version, great. The New Living Translation is, is great. The New American Standard, the English Standard Version. There are lots of great versions of the Bible, meaning that is it accurately translated. And then there are versions that they just kind of translate it to mean what they want it to say. So that's why there might be some contradictions in there uh, because some of those people who translate it didn't get it right. And then thirdly, one's understanding or interpretation of the biblical text may be inadequate or incorrect. Meaning, I just think it's so dumb some of the things people try to do to repudiate the, the word of God. Like, like uh, they'll take something uh, of an account in one gospel and then another and say that they're, they're not consistent because one person saw one angel at the tomb and another person saw two, they go, see there, gotcha. Well, look, how hard is it to figure out that it's an account that's eyewitness from two different people? One person saw one angel, another saw two. Today, if we talked about the various circumstances and you had to witness of this, a lot of you would say different things from your angle. Now, these guys were sharing their perspective, but it was divinely inspired and there was nothing that damages the message when they do that. There, aren't, there is no real uh, contradiction there. So those are some things to think about. But I'm gonna tell you what happens when people deny the inerrancy of the Bible. When you make it not trustworthy, you won't have any heart to follow it. 
and you can't be blessed by it. When you move to the point where you think, well, not all of it is true, then you can pick and choose what's true. And that's why the church will sometimes go astray historically. When this word is believed as, the, as breathed by the very of word of God, when it's obeyed, amazing things happen in people's life. And, and I, this is a strong statement, but I believe it. A person cannot submit to Christ's lordship without submitting to God and his word as the ultimate authority. If this is not the place that we find out about morality, then people can make morality up, right? It can be what they want it to be. Can, isn't it easy to see why people are, are doing away with the word of God? Because they want to justify their behavior in America, Europe, and beyond. Well, you have to believe it as, as the inspired word of God, and when you follow it, you'll be blessed. When you don't, you'll be hurt. Psalm 119, verse 160 says this, and by the way, you, you, it, just a great place to go to just have your faith built up in the word of God is Psalm 119. And we're in verse 160 here, so it's a long one. Uh, but, but man, is, it, it, will it bless you to believe the truth that's, that's in this book. And here's what it says that kind of sums up what this chapter's about. All your words are true. Oh, church, get there. Get there. Where you can believe as you, when you open this book that all of his words are true. All your just laws will stand forever. It is God-breathed and inspired by him. Yes, written by men, but as the Holy Spirit guided them. Secondly, the scriptures are helpful for our lives. So, it's, so, so we just need to know that when we read it, that it's, it's to bless us. It's to lead us and guide us and fill us up and keep us from making mistakes and keep us on the path that, 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 that bring great blessing and productivity for our life. Here's what it goes on to say. It says, God breathed and it says is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Let's just break those four down. Teaching. Teaching's important to correct understanding of truth and and to know how to truly receive. There's only one way to be saved, and it's through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so if if that's what the word teaches, we have to teach that. Did Did you know, here's what the Bible says, uh, there, there's something going on with social justice in, in, in the church today, and I believe to some degree it's correction because we've lived in the walls of the church for too long without going out and loving people. Uh, and yet the Bible says this, how will they know unless someone tell them? I mean, do you watch your videos, your DVDs without sound? Not nearly as effective. They don't nearly move you along and keep you uh, in trance before the television if you turn the sound down. It's not just enough to live the life. Now listen to me. This is the balance of the truth of the word of God. It's not just enough to live the life in front of the people. How will they know unless someone tells them? And there has to be a speaking of the, of the truth and, 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 and a living of the love. And when those two are, are coupled together, amazing things start to happen. And so we teach the truth about Jesus being the only way. It has to be spoken and he has to be received or people, people won't be saved. And then rebuking is something that's spoken of here. Did you know that the Holy Spirit does bring conviction? God never condemns people, but he does bring conviction of sin on a regular basis. 
that's not wrong. And so the, there, there's a certain segment of the church that's trying to do away with conviction of sin. As a matter of fact, they don't even wanna use that three-letter word. But the truth is God wants to convict us of sin and he, but because here's what that does. It leads us to repentance and confession and a forsaking of those things that are wounding us. Someone has said, uh, well, truth without grace is a club. You know, Jesus was full of grace and truth. To me, you've heard me say it a thousand times. Two wings of the airplane, grace and truth. Try flying without any one of those and it doesn't go well. But grace without truth is a club. But I, I, I say it's true in reverse. The, the, the other way, grace without truth is, is a club and truth without grace is a club. That legalism beats people up. It doesn't have grace attached to it. But when you don't add the truth to the word of God, people get beat up by sin. They get beat up from the consequences they're gonna face by going against the truth of the word of God. So it's, it's necessary to rebuke at times. Did you know that pastors are supposed to rebuke when people get out of line? Did you know it's, it's fitting for you to rebuke your friend at times? The Bible says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So if you know someone who's leaving their husband or their wife when they don't have biblical grounds and the Bible says you can only put them away for the cause of adultery on chastity and they're saying, well, I just don't have it in my heart for them anymore, I'm gonna tell you what you should do. If you know them and you love them and I believe the Spirit would lead, would lead some of us to do this as friends because, because they, people need to hear it, you should go to them and tell them, look, this isn't matching up. This is not what the Word says. What are you doing? It's appropriate to do that. Why? Because there's pain and heartache now, now, now listen, the grace of God covers those who've been through divorce. I'm not criticizing that today. There are a lot of people who've been cast aside when they completely love and they meant it when they said their vows. There are people who've made mistakes, the grace of God covers it. Nevertheless, when something's not done and there's still a chance to resolve it and save it, let's step in with the heart of love to help people. And let's not criticize those. That might be a place to rebuke too. If that hole in the heart caused by adultery of the spouse causes so much pain that they don't want to be involved in that relationship anymore, Jesus said they could put them away. I'm not advocating it. I'm always for something coming together. But I'm telling you, that's the teaching of Jesus Christ, except for, I don't know how I got on that. I better get moving here. Correcting means to bring a person back to proper thought, back to right relationship with God. And that's kind of what we're talking about with rebuking there. Training means to give God's view of life. And the word of God is where we find out how to correct, teach, rebuke, and train for righteousness. It's all here. It's not our thoughts. It's not what you and I think. I think it's appropriate to have discussions about what the word really says, but it's not appropriate to just share our opinions and meet somewhere in the middle. That's not it. No, we're trying to meet this where it says uh, the truth is. And that's what we're trying to figure out because that's, it's the truth that sets us free. Psalm 119, verse 105 says this. And if we follow, we're blessed. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Have you heard me tell the story about um, getting lost in Washington, D.C.? You've heard me tell a few stories about getting lost. It, it happens to me. That's why the Lord let Karen Russell come into my life because she, she always gets a map and knows where she's going. I always feel like I can get there. I'll just feel my way and it'll work. And it helps me. You ever notice when someone gets lost that they just, they just, they move their 
face up towards the windshield a little closer. It doesn't help. I, I, I just want you to know that. But, but that's what I do. Um, but I, I was traveling and, and in D.C., Washington, D.C., and I was flying out of Baltimore. Cheaper flight from there. It's about a half an hour further than some of the air, other airports. But you save a couple hundred bucks. And I'd been there for a few days with Dick Foth and, and some others that were there. And I was given a set of directions to leave early in the morning. And I got out on the freeway, driving that rental all by myself this time. Usually there's two or three of us moving together, but I was by myself because I had to go back early. And um, I couldn't, in the traffic that was so busy, read this, the directions they gave me and figure it out. And finally I pulled over and I, I just thought, good grief, this makes no sense to me what my friends have written down here. And I had rented a, a GPS navigation system. You know, you kind of, you, you lick that suction cup and you put it on there, you know. I guess that's when you pull it off. But you know, what, you know what I'm saying. And maybe you don't lick it, I do. I lick it and I leave that ugly film on there that the rest of you hate. Um, so I, I plug in Baltimore and I think, I'm, I guess I'm gonna have to trust this thing. I, 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 I can't figure this out. And I, I was late, I didn't have time. I was in jeopardy of missing my flight. And that would have been serious uh, trouble. So that GPS navigation system, some Australian lady started speaking to me from, from there with the weird accent and telling me where to go. She didn't even tell me the streets. Turn right in 0.2 miles. Go 19.2 miles. Turn left in, in 0.7 miles. And so I'm just following this navigation system. Over 15 minutes, I'm in four cities on four different highways, and I have no clue if I'm going the right direction. I am completely trusting the GPS, feeling all this anxiety. And about halfway through on my trip, I hear on the radio that the route, and it was the highway that I was on when I got lost originally, that there had been an accident on that road, and the traffic was backed up for an hour and a half. So I surely would have missed my flight if I'd gone the way my friends had said. And now I'm following this and everything felt wrong and nothing felt good. Not once did I feel good the whole time I felt anxious. And finally, after about 80 minutes, I saw a sign that said Baltimore Airport, two miles. That was the first indicator that I was really right. But I had just decided I'm gonna follow the GPS and hope it gets me there. And it did. Now I wanna tell you about another GPS that's way better than the global positioning system. It's the God positioning system. And, it's, and this is it. If we'll just trust the roadmap the Bible God gives us, we'll safely reach our destinations. Peril and accidents are on other routes. Friends mean well, but often they are wrong. You may feel like it's not working when I follow that, but if you'll stick with it, you'll find that it does work. You'll find that the route God puts you on is one that will pay off. And perhaps, maybe I was speaking earlier because there's someone here who's thinking about divorcing for a non-biblical approved reason. And here's what God would want you to know. If you'll stick on the path that he tells you, if you'll trust, here's what I found out. You can have a new marriage with the same person when you follow God's way. When God adds something uh, of his truth to your life and you accept it, receive it, and start to move that way, it may not even feel good for a while. 
But in the long run, it's gonna feel great because you won't get lost, you won't get hurt, you won't be damaged and you won't damage others. Trust him, trust his word and you will see. He'll bless you, keep you. It's the best route. He'll take you safely home. I've been going the wrong direction many times as a Christian. Couple times, obstinately. Mostly, not even understanding it until the Lord shows me. But here's the deal. When he shows you and I, through his word, you ever been reading the word? This is the way it goes for me. I read it. I read it, and then there's something that says, you know, one of those. It's like, good grief, that's for me, I'm not doing that. And the Lord redirects me, and here's what has to happen. You can either go, well, you know, that wasn't written for this day, and yeah, whatever, okay, goodbye. And you can run off and do your own thing. Or you can say, Lord, your word is true. It's bright, and it's showing me a path. I want to do it, help me. Sometimes I get up and I have to confess to people and say I'm sorry to get right with God. But you know when you get right with God, he helps you get right with people. And he starts to make everything more beautiful. If you listen to correction, Proverbs 15, 31, and that sometimes it's the correction of the word. If you listen to correction to improve your life, you will live among the wise. Third thought here, going to verse 17 now. Not only will you be blessed when you follow the right path, but you'll be thoroughly prepared for life and productivity when you follow the scriptures. Did you know you're not only called to worship? As a matter of fact, when people say, uh, we were created to worship the Lord, I believe that. I mean, when we worship, uh, the, the spirit of the Lord's in the house and it's great. But part of worship, if, you're, if your concept of worship doesn't include work, then you don't really have a full concept of worship. Because you're called to work with the Lord too. The Bible says that he has plans that he's prepared for you to do. And, and this, this Bible prepares us for good work that's in front of us. 2 Timothy 3.17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. When I was on vacation in Florida, I tell you, I had such a blast being with my family. I love being with my family. But one of the coolest things for me was uh, going to the pool and getting with the Lord when I opened that Bible. Just poolside with God. Sitting there in the sun and man, it was hot. It was like cellophane. I mean, just wrapped around your body in 100 degree weather. Anyway, um, but, but I would read the word and then I'd get in the pool and I'd read the word and the Lord was just blessing me. Now, let me just contrast something for you because they're both valuable. The power of the Holy Spirit is awesome. And, and that's a sermon for another day. God can bring healing in a moment. God can give a word of wisdom for a moment right now. And, and God can bring something, interject into one specific time frame and incident right now by his Holy Spirit in incredible fashion. The Bible can do that from time to time like I spoke, but it's the Holy Spirit attends this message and here's what I find that's a little bit different. This is more holistic than just a Holy Spirit moment. Have you heard me say before, this, the, the word without the spirit and we dry up. The spirit without the word and we blow up. The spirit and the word and we grow up. And the Holy Spirit attends the word. And what happens is the more I'm in this on a regular basis, the more it's like a foundation is being built and my life is being strengthened. Because I don't get it all and I'm growing continually. 
If you think of a, a plant and where it starts and where it has to go, it has to get nutrients. These are the nutrients for us and our growth. And I'm growing more and more all the time, but I've got a long ways to go. And I'll never get there. I'll never reach perfection till I see Jesus. But I love growing. I want to grow. And God builds me up and he strengthens me when I get in this word. And he prepares me even for good work that he has me to do, has for me to do. So I'm on vacation, but you know, when you're on vacation, you can't, you never go on vacation from the Lord's work. You know that. Because if he leads you somewhere and he tells you to do something, you, you really should do it. It'll, it'll work out good for you and for others. So we go past Christmas, Florida, all this after having, you know, being built up with the word and just feeling like the Lord was just touching me and helping me and leading me and guiding me. And, 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 but now we're just going out to have fun. And we go out into the Everglades with the, the pr- prison guy and, and it's an accent. I, I, I still don't know what he said, but he, but he smiled when he said it, so I was okay. And then, and, and then we come back and we stop at this little town called Christmas. We visit Ve- Becky at the curio shop. She's a believer and it was kind of cool. And I say, hey, Becky, where's the good place to eat in, in uh, Christmas? Little bitty town. And she said, the Rudolph restaurant. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, <laughs> there's a Christmas Florida and we went to eat at the Rudolph restaurant. So we go in there, and it's a little bitty place, and uh, we sit down, and we open the menu, and they have gator nuggets. And we, we ordered gator nuggets as our appetizer. Candace had one little teeny one she wouldn't eat anymore. I ate most of them. I bit several people later that night, but that's it. Other than that, it was all cool. Didn't affect me that much. So we're kind of enjoying this small-town Florida uh, uh, venue, and and, and, but we notice that the, that the waitresses aren't very happy. As a matter of fact, they almost appear rude. I'm thinking, you know, maybe that's the way people are in Florida. I don't know. And uh, there are two of them when they come to take the order. Uh, you know, maybe they think we're not very smart. And, and you know, but they, and, and then they just leave and we kind of remark about, boy, they don't, they don't seem too happy. And so one of the waitresses comes back, the older one, and I say to her, hey, so what's, what's the big news in Christmas Florida? She said, uh, well, the, the, cook, the cook was shot this week. And she said bullet shot, which I thought was a strange way to say it, but that's what she said. And I thought, is the food that bad? Um, but, but quickly I found out she wasn't teasing. I said, like your cook? She said, yeah, and the funerals in a couple hours, we're closing down right now. I found out she was a manager. And you could just see sat. Now you get it why the heaviness is in the place. You know, it's, it's just the way it is in life. Sometimes you see hard people or people who don't seem like they care. If you knew their story, if we knew their story, we wouldn't judge people near as much as we do. If you knew the pain that they've been through and the pain they're going through and the despair that's in their heart, compassion would be all over you. And that's why we need the Spirit of God to lead us. So I said, what happened? And she told me how he went to a party and got in a fight and he actually shot himself by accident when he went and got a gun to get somebody else. 33 years old, something like that. I thought, wow. So she leaves and we eat our gator nuggets and I tell the family, I go, yeah, just give me a second. I'm gonna go over here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if she'll let me pray for her. Isn't it just like God? I, I, I'm sure God had other people he could use that day, but did you know sometimes he just wants to use you because you've been here and you've been with him and his spirit's in you and his word's in you and you're just ready because you're, you, you, you've, you've eaten. You're, there's nourishment in there and you have the strength to go. 
And it was a little weird. We're right in the wide, wide open space of the restaurant, but I went up to her and said, look, I'm, I'm just passing through today and I'm a pastor, but I believe God sent me here to pray for you today. Would you let me pray for you? She said, okay. And I found out that the older one was the manager. The younger one was 14 and being trained to be a waitress. That's why there were two at the table. I'm pretty sure that the older lady that I prayed for didn't know the Lord but I'm pretty sure that the younger lady did, this 14-year-old, because she moved in close. She put her arm around her as I started to pray, and she bowed her head, and I, I, you know when someone's praying with you, you know what I mean? And she was going to town, and I started to pray. I said, Lord, you know what Julie's been going through. You know how hard it is to walk in here and try to help people through this. And God, you want Julie to know that you love her, and she just started to sob. I mean, she just... Tears were coming and she was wiping them away. I said, Lord, you want, you, you want her to know that you know where she's at and what she's going through. And I just said this, Lord, would you wrap your arms of love, your arms of compassion around her right now? And it was a sweet God moment. And we left and we're praying, but I, I said to her when we were done, I said, you know, I really believe the Lord just sent us by just for you because he knows what you're going through. And she said, you know what? I really believe that too. Pray for her. Understand this. I, I'm really not trying to elevate myself in any way because uh, there, there, there are moments that I've missed, moments we've all missed. But what I'm trying to get you to know is we need you. They need you to be thoroughly equipped. The coffee shop's in Portland. The soccer games around the suburbs here. People hurting. Believers who are wounded and hurting. And if we could just be ready, prepared. If we've been with God, God will be with us and lead us and guide us in those situations. He wants to build you up in his word. He wants to guide you, lead you. He is preparing you to do good works. James 1 says this, and I'll close with this scripture today. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it.